Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As morning, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy something, buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You, give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. So St. Francis of Assisi, that's where I want to begin this. He was born in the, in the 12th century. He was the son of a very wealthy silk merchant. Anybody have silk sheets or wearing silk right now? It's a very, even today, it's a very luxurious fabric, uh, not known for common folks like me to, uh, to wear. Uh, so St. Francis of Assisi grew up, and his father was a wealthy merchant. Silk is a privileged commodity, and so all the people that he did business with, also very wealthy. Francis was handsome, witty, intelligent, wealthy. I mean, the kid had it all, everything. He would, loved his fine silk garments, loved wearing them around, uh, had quite the collection of clothing. And, and as time went on, he began to feel like there had to be more. I'm, I'm not, this life can't, there has to be more to this life. And there's this class, this group of people that looked that people looked at, especially women looked at, in ways that he was envious of. It was kind of like a, a, special, a special esteem or, um, that he had. And, and they were they're soldiers. He's like, this, I want people to look at me like they look at soldiers. They see me in my fine garments, and there's something missing. It's something that the soldier has. So he, he joins a military campaign. He goes, uh, experiences firsthand the brutalities of warfare, is promptly captured and is held for ransom. He's identified as, a, as the son of a wealthy family, and so he's held prisoner until the money comes due and he can go home, which he does. But while he's sitting there, he thinks there has to be, there has to be something more. I've got the wealth. I've got the, um, you know, I I'm sit in the cultural equivalent of Travis Kelsey's suite and watch the game from up there. I've got everything I thought I'd get more than a little snicker here or there. That was a, <laughs> was a really good impromptu line. That, uh, so thank you. Thank you for that. I, um, so he's like, there, this, this path was empty. I had everything. It, it was empty inside. Then I went to the military campaign, and I thought, this is great. This is, uh, we're, I'm unified. We've got camaraderie. I trust the people around me. We're on a mission. Like Everything's clearly defined. But I killed people, and now I'm in a prison. Like there's, There has to be a way of living a life that you can eat 
and be free, but also has a shape to it, a mission, a purpose to it. So eventually, in this, what we would now call an existential crisis, this is before the existentialist came and um, provided a new crisis, or at least language for it, he goes on a pilgrimage. And so he goes on a pilgrimage to Rome, and he has this vision. And the vision, he's in front of this broken down church, his heart's breaking over what he sees. And, and, and Christ appears before him and says, Francis, Francis, go and repair my church, which, as you can see, is falling into ruins. So he first takes that word very literally and begins to literally repair a literal broken down church. But then as he goes and has followers, as he gives up more of his wealth, gives it away, gives it towards the repair of the church, he begins to say that he's called to more than just repairing a literal actual church, but to join in in what God is doing to repair the church of the 12th century and what's been lost. And, um, and he eventually gives way to a new tradition of, of monastic life called the Franciscan, the Franciscan way. And he would later write that in giving what he had away, the whole world became his. And as he wrote, he said, you know, it, it, when I first gave it all away, I had nothing. But then God provided through the generosity of others to the point where I could go to any village in the world and there'd be a room, a meal, and clothing waiting for me. On the one hand, I gave away a, a huge amount of resources. But on the other hand, I exchanged that from having one house in one place to every house in the world was open to me. I was given the whole world. I was never hungry. I was never naked. And I always had somebody that would be willing to open their house to me. From one angle, I'm the poorest person because I've renounced owning everything. But from another angle, I've never had more. I've never been wealthier. Nobody's been as wealthy as me because in every village there's a space and a home and a pantry open to me. I thought about St. Francis as I read this passage because I think Jesus is giving us an insight into the kingdom of God and the wealth and resources that are available. Jesus said, blessed, actually let me get his, his words right, seek first my kingdom and everything will be added to you. Seek me first, give, place your bread in my hand first, and then everything else will be open to you. Forsake the, the, the ways that the world is run by competition, by measuring ourselves through our wealth and, and the things that we can accrue, um, and instead, Seek first the kingdom of God. This passage is about scarcity of resources and hungry people. And the first instinct, as I'm sure I would too, if in a group of hungry people, is to kind of hide the bulge of bread in your pocket and just be like, that, 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 to, to hold tighter to the resources that I have. But the first words of Jesus... When disciples suggest, you know what we could do? We should just send them home. It's compassionate. There's, <laughs> send them away, but that seems really calloused. But it's compassionate because they can get food. Yeah, send them away. That You can see the, the logic turning in them, you know, because there is um, something in seeing need that calls something in us that needs a narrative to say, but that's their problem, not my problem. Your poor planning. I remember one time at the, um, going to the DMV and seeing in the DMV a sign that said, your poor planning is not my emergency. 
And it always struck me as, as one is I would, having some compassion, there's a sense of urgency that people have the DMV. There's a sense of fine that I should not have to pay. There's a sense of I did not get those tags in the mail. You know, th there's all this that comes into there. And the idea that your poor planning, your need, is not my crisis, it's not my emergency. And Jesus is saying, well, hold on. You know, hold on. There is that in identifying a need that Jesus turns around and says, well, what do you have to give towards it? Let's work together. Now, confession time. Plan my sermons out ahead. And one of the, when I got to this sermon, I thought, obviously, this is an opportunity for a fiery, compassionate, impassioned speech about how there's enough resources in the world. The world produces enough food. The problem is not production. The problem is distribution. And so that's when I was going to create this like, fiery sermon that fundamentally appealed to guilt and shame. You know, that feeling you have when you are driving, maybe you have french fries literally stuffed in your mouth and you drive past somebody that is in need and your part of you is like, there's, there's a need to create a narrative around why what's happening right now is okay and I'm off the hook. That was going to be my original sermon. But there's a couple problems with that sermon. First is, foremost, is it puts me in the position of the fixer of the problems of the world. That is not remotely close to what this passage is about. And second, it fundamentally appeals to guilt and shame. It would not be hard for me to make you feel guilt and shame about the conditions of the poor in the world. But one, there's never a tool in Jesus' toolkit. Two, it is nowhere to be found in this passage. At no point does Jesus shame hungry disciples for not saying, after saying that people are hungry, to offer what food they had. Jesus invites them into new creation. So I thought, why not go with the grain of the passage and instead of provoking guilt and shame and just trust that, well, let me, let me put it this way. Our, uh, from our brothers and sisters and friends in the 12-step program, one of the things that you hear in 12-step is your best thinking got you there. That your best sort of thinking created the problem. As Einstein said, the, 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 problems that will, the, the, the solutions to the problems that we are facing will be of a different order than the, than the thinking that got us into the problems in the first place. You probably said it more eloquently than me, but hopefully <laughs> somewhere in there, what I'm trying to say is maybe instead of being the saviors of the world, we say, hey, I already know a savior who's really good at his job, and he's calling me to join him in new creation. So let's follow that line of thinking this morning, because I think it's much more consistent with Scripture and appeals to something other than guilt and shame. It appeals to this thing called hope. Um, so there are three things from Job that I want to carry into this passage. The first, as we did a three-week series on the book of Job, uh, two, two themes emerged. Theme number one is that when God finally responds to Job, his response to Job is to call back to creation, to remind us of two things. One, we were not there when God created the world, and we are not qualified to run the world. Two, God is still creating. God is not done creating. He, as far as we know, only rested once, and then encouraged us to do the same. But he is still creating. So number one to carry into this, God is still creating. Number two is, at the beginning of Job, we found that Job 
trusted God was faithful to him, which is duly noted through the whole book. But what's noted in, in the first chapter is God also trusts Job. And in fact, God stakes his reputation on Job's faithfulness amidst all the calamity that's going to come his way. So carry those into the passage. One, God is still creating. Two, God is still collaborating. Jesus asks them not to send them away, um, but also not to hold on to what they have, but to give him what they have, put it in his hands. The substance of his miracle was their resources. It was their bread, it was their fish, placed in the hands of God that multiplied. It was God's creation, the powers of creation, to multiply, to increase, to take the substance that is already in the world and to make something new out of it, to turn it into a meal that will feed everyone. When you hold the, the, the subtext here, and you may disagree, we'll never know, we can only speculate, if the disciples had said, we don't have any food, and kept it to themselves, would Jesus have fed a crowd? I don't know. I'm glad we don't have to find out, because that's part of the passage, is us giving to God the little that we have. Jesus trusted his disciples. In fact, look at all the roles that the disciples get to play. One, they presented the need to Jesus. Two, they presented the materials to Jesus, bread and fish. Three, they were given back those materials to distribute to the crowds. Four, they went with baskets and collected leftovers because God doesn't like waste. He likes to, the, to see the, the food that has been created consumed by us and not wasted. He is asking them to be faithful and responsive to him. And then the disciples got to distribute the food. And, and if you imagine 5,000 people plus women and children, I'm just going to say 12,000 because there are 12 people distributing the food. So that makes it nice and clean. Each give it to 1,000. Hundreds of times bringing the food to a person. Here you go. And they say what? Thank you. And you know, this is Jesus is bringing the food. Jesus, I'm just at best a waiter. Um, but you're welcome. But, but ultimately, doing what hopefully we do with our lives, which is to redirect any thanks to God who, who made this possible. It's God's miracle. But it was their faithfulness in their joy to participate. And there's incredible joy in giving hungry people food, especially bread and fish, something that is locally sourced. It is, it is what's familiar to them. It is whatever comfort food is for you. That's what it would have been for them. It's a staple meal for them. And Jesus shares that moment with his disciples. There's no hint. Can you imagine Jesus saying to them, here's some food, but don't you forget who's giving to him. It's not you, it's me. I need the likes. I need the clicks. I need, I need the credit. I need, I need, this has to go. No, he's not like that at all. Jesus is generous. He's humble of heart. He's willing to share to, with his disciples. It's your food that you gave to me. I'm giving it back to you to distribute. And then he sends them out to, there to go. And I, I just, it, it never hurts to pause and just say, how beautiful and good and generous is Jesus' heart. To share, to not want credit, to allow the disciples to um, participate and, and, and joyful the way that in saying these people are hungry, Jesus is like, I'm sorry, that almost sounded like empathy. It is empathy. That's what, 
That's what Jesus is wired to do, to be attuned to the needs of other people. And now that they share empathy, they're aware of a need, Jesus says, then join me in meeting the need because that's what I, that's what I do. That's what, that is the food that you don't know about that I've been telling you about, which is doing God's will. It's amazing what emerges yourself, what, what, how unburdening it is to say, the world is not mine to fix. Every problem is not mine to solve. It is part of this passage is apathy and indifference and a lack of responsibility. Yes, that's true. But they understood they weren't the saviors and they couldn't feed the people that they brought it to Jesus. I mean, this, I, I, Jesus sees something different than they do. They see need. They see needy people and says, send them away, we can't help. What Jesus sees is people who, when they got in a boat to get away from the crowds, watched where the boat was headed, did some quick math, looked, oh, I bet I know where they're going, and they ran across, around the, the, the lake, the shore, lake shore. Jesus travels the hypotenuse. He does the two legs of the triangle. So he, they go a great distance. This concludes your math lesson. You're like, John, edges are round. There's no hypotenuse on a straight edge round. Um, granted, but, but my point is that they ran a really long ways to get to where Jesus was. And why? Why do people spontaneously run to encounter Jesus with no concern over, wait a minute, we should stop for some food along the way. We're going to a remote place. They had one singular purpose. I want to be with Jesus. I want to listen to Jesus. I want to be healed by Jesus. I want to be touched. I want to see. I just, wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I don't see poor planning here. I see people who want to have an encounter with the living God. I see people who want to listen, to see, to, to, that as Jesus will say, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what I see. I see hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What happens to them? They're filled. And as an outward showing of an inward reality, I'm going to feed them too. Um, that Jesus invites his disciples to see what he sees when he looks at people. To see them not just as people with a need, but to see people as a desire to know the living God. To see through the need into the deeper desire to know God. That their hunger was to feast on the word of God, to be healed, to be liberated. Um, and Jesus saw their spiritual hunger. And then the disciples brought their physical hunger to him and said, you know what? They get everything today. Spiritual and physical nourishment. Let's feed them. Um, that they're, you know what? I'm going to say something right now. You need some coaching. So here it is. Here's your coaching. If, if you agree with what I'm about to say, then you can say amen. Permission granted. You ready? All things are possible in Christ. But what this passage teaches us is that God's kingdom is here. It's among us. And that it's available in and through the faithfulness of, of his people. That this passage is not some exception to the rule. What good would that be? Here's something that happened, but it's never going to happen again. So just keep reading, people. Or to say, there's something at work in this passage that has to do with us bringing a human need before Jesus, hearing from him, well, don't send them away, don't, don't give up responsibility, but what do you have to give? What do, what do you, I'm at work, I'm creating, 
I'm doing what I'm doing, but you've alerted, you, you're aware of a need that I'm aware of too. What do you have to give? And let's partner and collaborate to end that. It's God making all things new through Jesus. A story not as an exception to the rule, but a template of, of a reality that is already among us. Um, so let go of trying to meet the needs ourselves. I mean, I think the two extremes are extreme number one, I got to fix every problem and then you're going to burn out, uh, you're going to get discouraged and despair. The other is probably what we see more modeled in this text, which is send them home. Not my problem. I've got what I need. I don't have enough to share with other people. And in between is a third possibility of giving what we have to Jesus and trusting Jesus to, to say to Jesus, you're making all things new. You're the savior of the world, not me. But I, here's what I have to give. What do you want to do with it? Give what you have and wait and watch. Seek first his kingdom. And just as St. Francis discovered, everything will be added to you. So this is where I want to end this morning as we turn to the table. St. Francis had the first word, he gets the last word. What I want us to do is stand and pray together his prayer, the prayer of St. Francis. And then uh, after that, I'll uh, release you to take uh, communion as a church together. So let's join me in saying together the prayer of St. Francis. Lord, is up there. Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be loved, uh, sorry, I'll follow the, uh, let's start over, uh, to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born eternal life. It is in giving that we receive, and many who have read this passage we just read, uh, to view it through the lens of the Eucharist table. Jesus giving bread to people, bread to us. His body, when we come to the table, multiplied across time and space to nourish us for the time ahead, to be the hands and feet of Christ. So may we, together, as we come to the table, be fed by Christ that we might feed others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement from this text. May we be inspired by the new creation of what's possible when we partner with you. Um, Lord, for those of us who are exhausted from seeing all the problems of the world and feeling like they're the only ones who care, Lord, may they learn as we sang this morning to give it to you, um, to trust you. And for those of us who are indifferent, who see human need and create a narrative that it's their fault and I have no responsibility, I pray that you would soften our hearts to hear, to bring those needs before you, to bring them to you in prayer, and to hear you when you send us back out to be part of the new creation that you're doing. And Lord, wherever we are, may we come to the table, may we receive from your hand the body and blood of Christ, that we might join in partnership with you 
and in the new things you're doing around the world. We ask for the grace and mercy we need to do this in Christ's name. Amen.